This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations of people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined from Fakatani by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Good to Sam. How's it going? It's going very well. What's your plan for the week? Murupara this week. Um, I'm over in the sprawling metropolis of Murupara, uh, which most people will not have heard of. Even people who live in New Zealand especially won't have heard of it. Um, where I'm going to be uh, helping a bunch of rangatahi uh, achieve their learner driver's licence and prevent them from entering the justice system uh, on a driving offence. So I'm pretty excited about that, I have to say. You've been talking about that for a long time, about how something as simple as a driver's licence is such a, a systemic thing that we can change and make such a big difference. Yep, and um, unfortunately we... It's yet another barrier that our young people have in life. And in this instance, um, because it's an extremely isolated rural community, it was actually getting to town to take the test. So what we did was worked with the AA to take the test to the town. Um, and then we all then went, went and got some funding so that we could actually fund the test because that was, of course, the next barrier in a place where you've got high deprivation. A driver's licence is not high on the list of priorities. So... Um, and when you've got a driver's license, you can get a job, you've got ID, you've got opportunities and you feel, you know, for some people, for a lot of people, it might be the only actual qualification they ever achieve in their lives is their driver's license. So, yeah, it's a pretty big deal. That's a pretty exciting week. And who are we introducing today? It is my absolute pleasure to introduce two people today. We don't often get two people at the same time, so good value for us. Um, so, Roisin King as a self-confessed big picture thinker with a passion for growing business, defining strategic direction and building relationships. Um, she has an MBA that sounds like it's extremely well used uh, and she is um, a partner in the Purpose Gallery, which we're going to hear about today. And sitting next to her, also a partner in the Purpose Gallery, Stu Fleming. Um, he has a PhD in human-computer interaction uh, and um, had a company called Wicked, which he sold, and then he went on tour with the Tour de France uh, and then came back to Wellington, uh, where he um, has been working as an agile coach and now is a co-owner in an art gallery. So, well, we, you guys, that is a really big life change you've had. It is exciting <laughs> to hear about that today, and thanks for joining us. Yes, thank you for having us. Thank you for joining us. How has your bubble life been? <laughs> well, the actual bubble at the time of the pandemic turned out to be a really positive experience for us. Um, we were in Wellington 
um, with my son who is 20, um, who's a very good cook. And so we had lots of rituals and routines that we got, got to. We did quite a few very gourmet takeaway food from the likes of Ruth Pretty and Logan Brown, which is a, a very famous restaurant in Wellington. Um, I can't say we enjoyed it, but we definitely felt that we um, were safe and looked after each other. So it was a, it was a good experience from that point of view. And were you work, working from home? Yes. Yeah, I, work, I was working for an Australian company at the time. Um, I did a year traveling to Australia and you know that's actually quite quite hard it's harder than you think it takes all day to get there and it's you you need a, a lot of energy so for me um being grounded was actually quite a good experience um but then you end up with you know back-to-back -back zoom calls and the amount of effort that's required the energy that you put in the changes that you try and make to deal with the pandemic actually do take their toll over time in the same way that traveling to australia every month took its toll yeah there was a number of challenges we faced early on and a lot of those were we bubbled up before bubbles were a thing you know but only by about a few uh, i remember coming back from an agile coach workshop taronga literally a few days hearing the engineering team at the place i was working at the time saying oh we're going to do a practice remote working session for the engineering team you know, the day after to see what issues we might have. and then that was on a thursday remembering on the friday that they then sent and we worked remote two months the the kind of speed at which that happened and the speed at which people had to react to it and i i think we once we got over the initial shock in fact the the routine routines talking about in our roles at work we were connecting you know, teams and people together we were the the challenge and i find it really rewarding to respond and pivot that new situation so quickly and you were as a, as a, the things that they were talking about is the issues they were facing you know the, the sort of safety of working at home it's the difficulty finding quiet safe work when people with the connectedness we miss our teams how do we keep that seeing all those things come, it was a really rich environment you've both got experience working in the innovation space did that those innovation processes happily move online. I mean, there's, there's, there's an awful lot of whiteboards and post-it notes and mm. group imagination-y type sessions. Did that work? Everything was a pivot. Um, <laughs> we very, very quickly from post-it notes on real boards to basically everything from, you know, Google Jam boards to shared documents, to Miro boards, to webcams and green screen. Yeah, we, we just adapt. Life went on. The teams that I was working with, they found all sorts of Zoom set all day to simulate being in the same space as the rest of you know, drop in, uh, and the day to the morning and arm call, those kinds of things. Mm. And the, the company I worked for was actually at the realization that we were a very face to face company. So we ran a number of events, very physical. And so it was roughly around 120 events that they took that were on site and they put them online. And that the effort that was required was tremendous. And then the realization that instead of, you know, 100 people or 500 people at maximum coming to a conference, we would have thousands of people coming to the online. Um, so that was a, a huge insight and, and awakening 
um, that we could reach much bigger audiences online than we ever could face to face. You know, the strangest thing was being in this house as your partner working in company <laughs> and being in rooms. <laughs> Did it give people a different insight into their customers? Because instead of being working in a in an office environment, people were scattered into whatever their home environment was. Did that lead people to think about who their customers were differently? Yeah, definitely. Um, my observation, though, was it really highlighted the mix between. So I was in a relationship management role with our with our sector, with our customers, and there was a little bit of initial conflict. Maybe might be too strong a word, but there was. We know that there's a pandemic. We know that it's 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 hurting you. We know that you've got challenges, but we still want to do business. Let's crack on. And I had a particular sector. It was the public sector, which actually had huge challenges trying to pivot to working from home. Um, and so we needed that patience. And I felt that you know, there needed to be some sort of education into the insights into customers that you didn't have to do before. Um, you had to go much more into their, their world from a personal level as well as a professional level. Um, because you're actually in their home. I mean, you're, they're sitting typically in a bedroom or a, or a kitchen or, you know, and, and, and actually the, I found that very rewarding because mm -hmm. it helped to elevate, amplify, elevate my customers, my sector internally, but also the relationships that I had with those people accelerated, you know, went on to a different level, which I really appreciated as somebody with, um, I've always had a, a, a bigger relationship with my customers or my, my contacts than a professional sense, you know, so I, I found it incredibly rewarding. One of, the, uh, one of the things I found really rewarding as well was the, the development of empathy in that circumstance among teams, which leads on to that, you know, serving was better because you want. And it, it came about because we had been struggling with distributed setup when we were mostly going through this, but we were dealing with other teamers in offices around the country. And so a video call would be uh, people sitting around a meeting room table and the remote people on the big screen. And what I heard as, you know, as my coaching role was those remote people didn't feel in that, in that conversation. They felt that they were just, they were a face on the wall. They were watching this unfold. They weren't involved. As soon as we went to all remote, suddenly there was no round room. Everyone was and I think that it really clicked for the Wellington people because they would attend the meeting rooms would dial into them. It clicked with what the remote, mm -hmm. we don't feel connected. Now we're all remote. We actually feel better connect mm -hmm. and we understand better. So that, that, that basic empathy, that development of that, that really helps bring the team and then transfer the customer and the customer better challenges mm -hmm. as you are now. You have that shared understanding. People like Donald Norman have been talking about that forever. It only took a global pandemic for it to hit home. I love I love Don Norman's work. Um, you take me back to this just then, Sam. I, I worked with Steve Draper, who uh, edited Don's book way, way back in the 80s, mid-80s. And all of that work still finds strands of that today. Those issues are still there. They're still very key in how we relate. You know, the objects, the technology we work through. Those, those that shared understanding.
I'm going to squeeze in the first of your music choices. Let's have a Dido thank you. Who's this and why this one? Um, so I chose that one, uh, lots of reasons actually. If you look at the lyric, it's, it's all about um, overcoming. Uh, it's all about uh, gratitude, actually. That would be the theme and that's why I, I chose it because having gone through, I call it radical change. Um, what our not just the pandemic, but all the choices and decisions that we've made since then have brought us incredibly, it's closer to living with integrity than pre-pandemic. And yeah, that, there's so much gratitude in my heart and, and why I chose the song.
So, you're not in Wellington anymore. You're in no. Nelson, Mapua. <laughs> How did that happen? Well, that was a journey. Yes, it was a journey. <laughs> I, I, I think it's actually with the pandemic because you are not just stuck at home, but yeah, you, you're very limited. Your, your world becomes very small. And the realization that actually, uh, you know, Wellington's a beautiful place. It's a it's a wonderful city, um, but it's limited in terms of its class. <laughs> so the weather kind of gets to you when you're um, in front of it all the time. Where, when you're not traveling, you know you can escape, um, but you couldn't anymore. It wasn't a plan. It wasn't a, a conscious. You know, we're going to move out of Wellington. It was more an observation that um, you know in the really October November. We we weren't taught to Wellington. We didn't yes. have to live there to work. I'd moved into a, a fully remote role working for a US bank, which meant I can work from anywhere. And that yes. gave us the freedom to start looking at other options. Don't forget the point you're semi-retired at 50. <laughs> <laughs> so both of us were not, were not tied there. We, we came and um, did a house-sitting um, in Nelson over Christmas, and, and we looked around. We've we've both had some history. Of, you know, I've been coming up here for. This was the place you came to. Well, in it, New Zealand. Originally, fifteen years ago, when I moved over from England, we bought a camper van and started travelling round. Uh, which it took four months to do that. Um, but we, you know, we, I came here to get away from that corporate life. I wanted to change things. But as we started going down the country, we we got a little bit scared <laughs> and started going for interviews with those corporate jobs. And got I got a job offer from Wellington and they were putting, as I continued down, got past and the pressure came on and I had to make a decision. So I decided to take that job, which was not what I had intended to do. That wasn't the change I was looking for. By the time we went round, beautiful country, got to Nelson and thought, oh, no, because <laughs> we'd taken the jobs. And so we were kind of stuck with that decision. So I think it's very poetic that I've come to another change in my life. I'm going back mm. to that original decision. And there, there's some poetry to that. Oh, and so many, so many strands that, yeah. that led here as well. So many coincidences. Like we. We came out to Mapua for, for coffee, and we knew um, a few people who lived to Ruby Bay, who was close by. Um, so Rasheen said, we'll organize a meeting with Colin. Um, this is Colin Jackson. Colin Jackson. And, and lo and behold, he walks out of the pub next door to us. So <laughs> I said, well, I've already... there we go. And uh, so we had coffee with Colin, and we told him what our plans were. And after the coffee, he, he went, and we went back to the car. He went a different direction. And they came rushing around the corner and said, you know, there's a gallery for sale across. And we said, we didn't know that. We did now, and so we walked in the door. Yeah, we literally walked <laughs> off the street, and, and the gallery owner, Mike, um, showed us round. He showed he showed us round. Uh, we were respectful and not to ask to see the bedrooms. So all we actually saw was the living area and the other parts of the house, and it's so much more potential. Um, and it was also more price. It was more expensive than we were looking for. But the week, I don't know, we came away from it with this has got so much possibilities. And no, we weren't looking to run an art gallery and we weren't looking at that as part of our home in England. But what we realize is that 
it was about possibilities the whole move it was about you know getting out of wellington coming back to a place where we choose to live um and 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 work and it was the possibilities that we were very excited about by the time we got back to wellington and that's that the same purpose yes because originally we weren't even going to take the gallery on we thought it was a space we could use and we were going to run different businesses but then we realized what we were undertaking was so much that we needed some certainty and and people are used to a gallery being here mm. um we we to the owners we we be friends with them and they're also wonderful artists themselves and they didn't sell a business because they prepared it for that and it didn't have the the typical assets you would see uh and wanted the branding to go with them um so we started working on could we take over an art gallery never intending to um and 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 we wrote a business plan um on on the art gallery and on a couple of other proposals that we had to generate revenue from the property and and the purpose why do you do this? What's what's meaningful and what motivates? And almost always comes back to to a purpose with a vision. I thought about that a lot through the end of you know lockdowns, working for an organisation, some challenges, and ended up letting go of the coaching there. So I found myself with three months off thing to do. And you know I, I grew up in Scotland, in the seventies, and I'm watching steel you know, shipyards, you know, my age on the scrap heap. They 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 lived and worked in one job. And they'd lost that job. And for them, there was nothing else. I, I, I got to thinking, well, my purpose is defined by my job. It's not, it's never been, or always to pivot something else, take up a new job. And so it, it you know, a catastrophe it was hard, but there was a way forward. Um, and the things that we did after together in response really led us to here. You, you can trace back, that's what happened, that's what we did. As a result, this new arrived it was really unlocked that possibility. All oh. of those things take us here. But don't forget you converted my garage to a gym. <laughs> <laughs> and so we we found ourselves in a situation where it was actually quite difficult for all of us to be working in the house at the same time. And so we decided that we'd build a garage or we'd convert the garage into a, 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 a another room and build an office in there as well. So we, so as Stu went out, he had a few months off, let's do it. So we started that conversion. And that's partly where we came with purpose because we started talking about purposeful spaces. You know, wouldn't it be great if you didn't just, you know, shove a bit of equipment into a garage, but you actually put a lot of thought into it, developed and designed it purposefully for that purpose. Um, and and that's what he did. He he built it from scratch. It turned out that the garage was half falling down. We didn't realise that until we started peeling <laughs> things off. It wasn't built fantastically to start with, so there was, there was damp. Um, and he completely rebuilt it, really, um, and totally changed the use of it. And then more more coincidence. Having having done that. Um, and an old mate from Dunedin got in touch and said, hey, it looks like you're out some time and you're looking for a new job. And that led on to, you know, the current role called Fitness because of that, you know, the gym space and equipment that was in it. And, you know, that purpose of space that led on to that, which then unlocked 
I don't have to be in Wellington and here. It's, I just, I'm fascinated by all the different things down that have led us to this point because of the way the Brisbane. Okay, slightly the other thing. I've got a slightly technical Sorry, question. Mark. You talked about writing a business plan. I'm presuming you used the business model canvas because that's the kind of thing you would have used. Did it work? Did it integrate the purpose? Did that, that kind of value stuff come through in it? Well, to the point, we actually have branded <laughs> the gallery, Purpose Gallery, and we whole set of values because one of the things I did, um, I've written a lot of in fact, I, I worked as a consultant writing sales and marketing and business strategy for actually about 60. I think I counted it up once. Um, quite a few very, 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 very well-known Kiwi brands. Um, and so, you know, we started looking at it and, and, and what we discovered was that there are obviously a lot of art galleries and there's, and they, you know, we looked at their purpose. And one of the things we found that from the artist's perspective, you know, it's not about sales. It's not about, you know, where you're shipping to or, or the usual things that you would expect. But an artist wants to be given the freedom and space and time to be able to create. And it, it's not just paint a picture, but it's to actually create, you know, that 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 world that they live in is all about that creation. And what they want from an art gallery or a booker is the time to do that so that they don't have to sell their art necessarily or because there's quite a lot of effort in, in doing that. But they wanted that space. And I won't say it's old fashioned values of, a, of an art broker, but it's it's so you really don't work for you. You with that space and time. So if you you're selling my art, you're taking care of everything, so that I have time to create, not more art to sell, but just to create. Um, and and we found that it's not a niche, but it's definitely a values-driven approach. We 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 definitely um you know that phrase um and dog. Uh, I worked with a very wonderful head coach, Diana Minet, who and she uses the expression drink your own champagne is that <laughs> sort of celebration yeah we, we had we had a value proposition we had a purpose we had a, a channels and you know customer we were really lucky together to be able to work um at the same organization for a while uh, and we we developed a collaborative strategy mm. uh, a playbook and we kind of worked through that in this exercise it was really, um rewarding to get to have that shared experience and then be able to put ourselves yeah, we worked for about three months on on this getting this over the line. Uh, we had a mirror board, um, week long sprint. We shifted about two hundred of things that we knew we had to to make this. And it was getting halfway through. It was really daunting. You know, mm, it was intensive. Are we are we actually going to get this done? Is this all <laughs> all these moves? These going to come together? But being able to look back at, at what was in done and say, well. Yeah, half the tickets are done. We're halfway through. Um, we're kind of on track. It's working. <laughs> Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokunui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi aroha nui kia koutou, ko tāhuahau. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars and your beloved yourselves. And I really hope that wherever you are, and whatever is happening around you, this journey that we're all on together and to be very rewarding.
who is sustaining and illuminating for you more and more who you are, the triumph of nature's art, and here, making's better. Thank you. So as we know, it's now more than a year since we began this journey through COVID-19 global pandemic together. And here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, we've been supremely lucky, and we are still supremely lucky, that we find ourselves in a state of unparalleled freedom and able to now create a trans-Tasman bubble with Australia. So I know people will be venturing for also be visiting. And I think for us as a species, we love to explore, we love to travel, but first and foremost, we love to be with those people that we love. And I'm grateful that at an early age, moved away from many of the people that I love and had to learn to feel love at a distance and learn to keep in touch and feel that love, feel that connection, despite literally being on the other side of the world. I'm still on the other side of the world from my beautiful mother, who is over in the UK, and finding great solace in her beautiful garden and St Ives. But despite this distance, I feel that love, I feel that connection. And I'm just hoping for everybody that is now able to reunite with their families, that they have a wonderful time and that everybody can be safe and be well. So I really hope that for you, as these changes are taking place, you're making sure that you're being very kind to yourself. And I think for all of us, of course, when these shifts and changes, we do feel unsettled, we do feel afraid. And of course there are concerns around what could possibly happen if we have another outbreak. I think it's important to acknowledge all the learning that's taken place, all of the great protocols and systems that are in place, and make use of this concern and this very real appreciation of the risks to make sure that we are all looking after each other and ourselves, scanning in, using the QR code tracing app, all of these things that are there to help us. And I think for all of us, we have seen changes in the way that we do things every day that may well be here with us for some time. So everywhere now has hand sanitizer. I was told a story about a wee, a little baby that knew to put out their hand for hand sanitizer, only a few months old. So it's very ingrained with us now. But I think for all of us, we will be feeling that uncertainty and anxiety. And it's important that we are caring and kind to each other as these changes happen. So for all of you, I really hope that you're getting some time for you to really rest and recharge and be with those you love, whether it's in immediate proximity or via love at a distance. And I hope that you're getting some time to really do and feel and be and see the world around you in a way that is really nourishing to you. And I'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much. Kakiti. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Roisin King and Stu Fleming. It's been um, really interesting while we've done these nearly 300 interviews. And one question that we try and ask everybody is, um, do you consider yourself to be an imaginative person and what role has imagination played in all of this? And 
pretty much everything you guys say has got like an imagination sort of um, <laughs> process underpinning every decision, the observation of, of all of those little signals that we look for in life to say you're on the on the right track. Where has that come from in you guys? What has stimulated that? Was it something you, um, is, were your parents imaginative? Were you educated in imaginative spaces? Yeah, and and you you kind of if you if you were if you walked alongside us you you you'd kind of want to assume that, but actually both of us came from uh, the seventies, <laughs> <laughs> so it's quite a lot of there's a little bit of trauma associated with growing up in the seventies, um, and also in the parts that we grew up. So I grew up in. In, in Ireland and Stu grew up in England. There's a lot of poverty that happened around there. Um, so it was a easier that we have now. Um, that drove both of us because Stu left home at 15, I left home at 17. We both went into the big bad world and, and, and paved our way and we we're quite driven because of where we've come from. So we've been driven, I would say. Mm. But one of the things I've I've learned, especially over the last few years, I guess, and meeting Stu and, and working with him from that agile perspective is 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 really, really, really being more driven. Um, and actually the imagination that we have comes from imagining those possibilities, mm. but also by sticking with integrity with the values and what we want to achieve um and but but we've both been big, big picture thinkers i think mm. um even even at some of the places we we've ran processes where we imagined what the the end goal was and but you have to you know you have to have a a, a format you know like those tickets that we created to get us to where we are now that was all real hard tangible work so we have this saying you know if, if if you can't be bothered to put it in writing bother you know everything's got to be in writing everything's got to be there's got to be structure to it otherwise you won't get from a to b hmm. um so we are structured imaginative thinkers i would say hmm. i can remember very very clearly when i was about nine or ten years old reading a book on um, golf coaching and, and one of the things that's always stuck with me from that book is the visualization so you put the shot you're about to play you visualize where it's going to go you play that shot and you watch it you watch the whole thing from when you hit the ball to when the ball lands and bounces and mm. rolls and you match that up this is what i intended to do this is what actually happened and that it, it, it's that visualization, I think, more than imagination. Mm. Can you see yourself in this place? Can you see yourself in this role? And, and an exercise I do with teams is in a year's time, what would be the press release that you would if you've succeeded at this thing you to do? It's visualizing that future state because once you start to visualize it, you start on that process down that track of actually executing on it and delivering that. That, that's it for me. It's more visualization than imagination, I think. 
on your um, on your LinkedIn for Purpose Gallery, you say purpose with heart with the ART in capital letters. That's the art part, but it's heart. And listening to your corridor today, there's a, I sense this real deep empathy that you have for others. And where do you, where do you um, sort of what do you credit that with? Is it the the trauma you talked about from the seventies? Is that what underpins your empathy that you have for the people you work with? Trauma is an interesting one. Um, I think that that pro provided the drive. Yeah. I I wouldn't say my empathy comes from that period. And I actually I, I I'm not qualified enough to say where it comes from, technically. But I've always been driven by thinking of others. Sometimes that's got me into trouble, um, because I've overdone it, and I've ended up leaving too much of myself or letting too much of myself go. Um, I set up a thought group once that was meant to be a, you know, it's just a job and I thought I'd get help to do it and I didn't. And I ended up being really successful, so successful that it became a part-time job and it became quite stressful. And I wasn't able to help people in the end because I ended up being the person that needed help. Mm. So you've got to be a little bit careful that empathy isn't sympathy or you, you know, you've got to be quite mindful to protect yourself. But I've always been able to step in other people's shoes. My entire career has been putting myself in other people's shoes and imagining what Stu yeah. is the most empathetic man I've ever met in my entire life. Um, it, it, it's all in front of you. You don't have to delve very far to find it. It's there. It's in front. Mm. But it's, it's back to that, that trauma again. Um, and being able to, to support and help others. If you have experienced trauma, you have to heal that first. Mm. You should be in a place where you're you're comfortable and you come to terms with what's happened to you in the past. And that for me is the, the, the sort of seed of understanding the journey of us. Having been through a number of challenges, um, I get a, a, an understanding of what, what difficulties look. And knowing that there are others in that same situation the coaching aspect is that you want to support, you want to help people find their own answers and find the, the solutions maybe that others have found that also apply to them. And that, that's where that comes from. From me, I'm in, in, a, in a good place now. And the things that I've learned are the ones that help me understand and support others better now. But that's been a long process getting to that point. I have some questions to end the show and negative time to ask them, so we're going to rattle. We've seen lots of changes in society over the last year. What do you think is going to stick and what do you hope will stick? What I hope will stick is the, is the wider societal, we're in this together, we should help and support each other mm. through it. What lessons... What lessons do you think we can take from 
the pandemic and the pandemic response for the bigger sorts of questions that we face, things like climate change and social injustice? I'd love that we would realise that air travel is a contributor, not just the pandemic, but also the climate change. If we didn't have it, we would get progress on both. And empathy for me, when, when I've seen and experienced people making decisions from empathy, not sympathy, empathy, a positive outcome has been achieved. And I would love that to be valued more and to be respected and to be, you know, this is the thing that I look for in people, that we saw it for what it is and that's what's going to help us to get through any adversity. It's treating each other with kindness, treating each other with, with empathy. Um, uh, that That's why New Zealand is really ahead of the world with the way that they've managed the pandemic, you know, and the message has been very clear and very consistent. Treat each other with kindness. The kindness is the thing that's made the decisions that we've made as a five million, a team of five million. And that's what I would hope that we continue on and grow and deepen, actually. So we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So what I'd like to know is what is the superpower that's got you into the mansion? But I'd like to know what each other's superpower is. Goodness. <laughs> Rasheen's her un undying enthusiasm. And th that motivates that motivates me incredibly. And I would say that Stu's is, I mean, we 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 call it big brain, but it's that ability to be able to helicopter off and see multitudes of solutions and work through really quite quickly and dynamically what the right solution will be, having put everything in mind, not just a reaction or a do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's that ability to helicopter and see all the different solutions, options, and then make a decision. I would so say it's one of his. <laughs> <laughs> do you consider yourself to be an activist? It depends on what your definition of activist is. How, how do you identify an activist? What, what is that to you? I'm not defining it. You get to choose what, what you think. Mm -hmm. And then I find out what the definition is. <laughs> I like I like to impact the world in which you're living, um, and I, I like that a guiding principle for that. It's actually one of my current company values: is do the right thing. Mm -hmm. And linking that through to to agile, do, doing the right thing is is doing the next most important thing. And above all, be kind. I mean, we can go out there and we can sell lots of art for the artists. But I had a conversation with an artist the other day and it's, how can I help you? And she started talking about a dream that she had 20 years ago. And it, you know, it sounded like different threads. But when you pull it together, this is what you're trying to achieve. And how can I help you achieve that? Um, and then she started talking about getting back into the into the studio and painting again. 
in a different way. And she got very emotional about it because I was starting to help her to break down the barriers to what was in her process. And that to me is a, is a, is a f fantastic relationship and, it, and the impact that I can have on, on artists. And then that it then grows into the world because where would we be without art? And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Live with purpose. <laughs> Intention and purpose because, and, and courage, actually, that is the thing. Even back to the story, I, I traveled here 15 years ago. I took a, I, I took a corporate job, supposed to be changing what it was. was I, why did I do that? Because at the time, I lacked the courage. Um, we found three or four good reasons why we shouldn't do this. Mm. But when we acted with courage, we didn't jump. We didn't take a massive risk. We just acted with courage and purpose, and and we've done it. And We're here. Yeah, and mine would be think, think big, and then think bigger, and then go and do it. <laughs> Thank you for that, Moira. Um, I just want to say thanks for creating a space that enables other people to live their purpose. I think that's really neat. Thank you for everything that you do. Thank thanks you. for joining Thank us today. Thank you for that. We're going out to Melissa Etheridge talking to my angel. This was Stu's choice. Why this one, Stu? This one's a really interesting one, and I love it for the the lyric um, of feeling the thunder underneath you. Um, that that's the the hook for me. But it talks about uh, spirituality rather than religion, and that's that's always been a key part of of, of my life. That there are there are beliefs that kind of shackle you and, and take you down a fixed road and they, they don't allow for growth but i love that um the the sound of that thunder opening up the horizon and opening up the opportunity and just and just going for it not being scared to to do that thing to follow that road wherever it's going to happen to lead you that's what i love that's what. don't be afraid Close your eyes Lay it all down Don't you cry Can't you see I'm going Where I can see the sunrise I've been talking to my He said that it's all right. I've always had to run. I don't know just why. Desire slowly smoking under the Midwest sky. But there's something waiting. I've got to try I've been talking to my angel And you said that it's 
to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio every Monday, Wednesday and Friday afternoons at three and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. I'm Samuel Madden, Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, with Mawera Karatai in Fakatani and in Mapua, near Nelson, Stu Fleming and Rasheen King. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.